0: I would like to welcome you today to today's episode of Hungry Trilobite. I'm Aaron Bossig, your host, and today's episode is going to be special for fans of Star Trek Discovery. We have Laurie Ulster from After Trek. Now, I do want to warn you, there are a couple moments in this episode where the audio skips just a little bit, and it's unfortunate, but it doesn't really distract too much, and what she's saying clearly comes through.
1: So, let's get right to it. On mic today, we have Laurie Ulster. How are you doing this fine day? I'm good, how are you? I am doing fantastic, glad to have you. You are a very, uh, you're a hilarious Twitter personality, you are a talented (laughs) writer, and you are, or were, the supervising producer on After Trek. So that's Uh, a lot to have on your plate.
2: Well, thank you for the first two, and very accurate for the third.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh, the concept of after Trek really just struck me as being very unique because it it was a show about a show and it was something that, that kind of came about because Star Trek had been on a break for so long that it was like, we almost needed somebody to kind of walk us through getting into the, the Trek for the new millennium. Um, Was that somewhat accurate or?
2: I mean, I think a lot of it was due to success of talking dead Okay. Um, Which they realized that shows with a certain type of fandom, which you would definitely say the fandoms there are pretty similar, um, were in an era where people want to dissect things and they want to talk about things. And the company, Embassy Row, that CBS hired to produce Mm -hmm. the show also did Talking Dead. So they had experience with that kind of after show. And I think... Um, they just realized, yeah, this is the perfect show for it. It's the right time. They definitely wanted to launch the new Star Trek with a very big splash. Obviously, mm-hmm. were big stakes for CBS All Access. Um, and the fact that they decided to do it in New York made me the happiest person in the world. When suddenly I found out that it was in New York, and there were they were looking for people.
0: Fantastic. It was like a
2: fantasy. It was an absolute fantasy to hear. Like, wow, they actually need people to work on the show. And then a uh-huh. friend of mine was working at Embassy Row, my best friend, and she knew the the executive producer Jeremy Hutchins, who was looking for people, and set me up uh, on an email with him.
1: That's fortune. It's fate. Whatever you want to call it. Oh, I what I'd asked you to send me a couple pictures to use for the video portion of the podcast and the one of you meditating in front of the starfleet command logo it hits me right in the feels because <laughs> were that me that's literally the exact pose i would be making and i think that go ahead so, so, well that and that
2: set visit had nothing to do with after trek that was before after trek that was sure. just luck of mine that a good a great friend of mine kevin lafferty who worked briefly he while at the beginning and you know they had a lot of shifts he ended up staying but uh he booked me he he brought me and i signed the nda i put my phone away like everything i was supposed to do and it was before i'd seen anything from the show and i got to go to the set and when i saw that you know printed on the floor i just kind of dropped to my knees
1: (laughs) Uh huh. yeah no it's what almost every one of the people listening to this probably would do themselves just to feel like (laughs) And I've heard of so many people having that moment where it's like the wall between fantasy and reality just gets broken for them. I uh, I remember when they, they first started making Star Wars Episode One and Ellen McGregor walked onto the set and saw R2-D2 for the first time. He just lost all sense of composure and just said, oh, the same thing you did, just on his knees.
2: Right, and it's... You know, what? they have these various, you know, I haven't been to the to the Star Trek original series set tour, which is totally on my wish list, and I'm going to do it. But obviously, they've taken pieces of it to conventions. And I did Mm -hmm. the Starfleet Academy experience. There's one that experience of sitting on the bridge which we all have wanted to do for me most of my life. And Mm -hmm. that's like a fan experience. But then this was like, it was a brand new show. Nobody had seen it. We knew very little about it. Uh And there I was on these, I mean, the one thing, those sets are absolutely gorgeous. And the detail is phenomenal. So that to me, I just, I, I couldn't believe that I was there. And my friend, Kevin, who took me on the tour, we were roommates in the, I'm get like mid, late 80s platonic roommates as he always tells everybody i'm like mm-hmm. yes it was platonic um but he and i were huge huge star trek fans and still are and so that it was just for him to get that job and then to invite me there invite me there was just it was a dream come true and i was very excited and again that was long before um after trek, or that was even before i think i was working on Trek movie is that possible maybe not no it wasn't before that but But yeah, so all those pieces of it. I mean, for me, it's been from that to After Trek, which was truly the greatest job I ever had in my entire life, and every minute was fantastic. And writing for a Trek movie, like, I was a very lonely Trek fan as a kid, and there was no one around me who liked it, and now there's a whole gigantic world of it, and it's amazing.
1: It really is. The Trek universe in the real world with the fandom has expanded so much, and, I mean, between the new productions coming out and the internet bringing us all together. It's like we finally have a way of connecting with each other in, in ways we haven't before. And for one thing, the convention circuit now is so much bigger than it ever was at any time in the past. We have people planning vacations around star Trek or or any fandom they want. I don't want to just limit it to star Trek, but it's the one nearest and dearest to my heart. So I'll I'll allow myself to be a little biased there. (laughs)
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's an amazing time. And especially like I look back at when I really was like the only one I knew who felt that way about the show. And I I was such a weirdo. And there weren't, I mean, this was before there were movies. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm old enough to remember all that. And now I look and there's, you can just connect. It's, It's a way of connecting with people. And that like, you know, people make fun of any kind of fandom sometimes, but mm-hmm. I think it actually gets people to connect, which I think is great. And it's over a shared love of something, even when it degenerates into a shared nitpicking of something. Um, <laughs> and it's it's I've made friends through it. I've it's been it's been phenomenal for me and like and gotten paid. I mean, when I was working on After Trek and I kept laughing, saying I'm actually being paid well to mm-hmm. watch Star Trek. I mean, that was astonishing.
1: That, uh, yes. And that, <laughs> that's like the ultimate dream. I had a gig where I managed to cruise around for a bit and get paid to be a fan too. And that is actually a little bit of the goal of this podcast. Not directly, but wouldn't mind if it happened that way. And yeah, sure. it's it's amazing. I didn't get to see the uh, the famous Star Trek tour, but there was actually a recreation of the Enterprise Bridge in Oklahoma City where I live that is no longer there. Oh. But the, the moment where the doors open and you see everything and, and it's like it stops being two-dimensional and starts being your world, if only for just a minute or two.
2: Right. I get to pretend for one second that you're finally there. I mean, I started uh-huh. watching... The original series when i was a kid so even though i've loved so much of the trek all of mm-hmm. almost everything that's come since and i i always find something to like mm-hmm. that original series bridge to me was what i i mean i wrote hilariously terrible fan fiction when i was 12 and <laughs> that's you know i pictured myself on that bridge that was where i wanted to be
1: mm-hmm. and lo- let me ask you this and let me see if you feel felt the same way you look down at the console with the colored bubbles as buttons and the little painted wood as screens, and you don't doubt it. It you, it, it, it is real. It is believable in that moment.
2: hundred percent.
1: Uh-huh. Absolutely. And you turn around, and you look at the captain's chair, and your cheeks flush a little bit, and you look over, and your <laughs> wife says, sit down. You know you want to.
2: <laughs> see my husband doesn't come with me on these outings so that's <laughs> the big difference is that i have to go solo or i go with friends or when i did the starfleet academy experience which was at the intrepid in new york mm-hmm. i uh, i took my son so that was and that was the next generation bridge but yeah i never have the, the husband is not a star trek guy he has many fine Qualities, but he's missing that one important piece. (laughs) So he never comes with me and says those things, but he does uh, occasionally buy me things like a lamp for my bedside that looks like the Enterprise Bridge.
1: Ooh, cool. (laughs) So there's that. My wife? Yeah,
2: I, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're the yes. No, no, no. I would like to hear the story about your wife.
1: I I was going to say, she is a fan, but to different degrees. And that's actually one of the more fun parts is getting to weigh the, the different uh, levels of, of fandom between us. Because sometimes just being more or less a fan brings a different perspective. And that's a lot of fun, too.
2: Yeah. No, that is fun. I mean, that's my son's just started to. I mean, he teases me and he knows that he can get me to like hang out longer if he puts on Star Trek. But I think he's he's gravitating towards Deep Space Nine these days. Uh-huh. But he still thinks Captain Kirk is like the man. Of course. So that that's good. And he does enjoy some of it and he talks about some of it with me. But yeah, very you know, to a much smaller degree. But thanks to Trek movie, I would say, which I write and edit for and do social and copy copy edit with a whole team of amazing people, like I finally to me I found my community mm-hmm. there. And with everything that comes with that, which is covering all these things and doing stories. And then after Trek, I mean, everybody on that show was a fan and to different degrees. But everybody there was a fan. And so that was fun, too, also, because we were all, you know, we're watching Discovery. We were getting rough cuts. We were looking at scripts. We were talking to the writers to ask them questions about the choice that they were doing and talking effects guys. And so that was, you know, there were a couple of us who were very, very hardcore and interested in every single little detail and connecting the dots. And then there were other people that were sort of newer to it and liked some of it, and they were still very joyful about the whole thing. So yeah, it's definitely brought, it went from being this thing that identified me as a weirdo to this thing that has united me with what's connected me with other people.
1: You dropped out for a second or so there, but I think we got the gist of it. So just want to give you a heads up.
2: Oh so, yeah, it, uh, it might be my Wi-Fi.
1: Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I will say that I, I have to express my appreciation for After Trek because especially in those dark times between the last episode of Enterprise and the premiere of the 2009 movie, when you really felt like there might never be Trek again, Trek movie really was one of those things. like, no, there, there's hope. There's a glimmer out there and and I've kept reading it ever since then just because I just enjoy the community like you said it's a great resource and I think I'm going to put it in the geek resources section of the show today
2: it's a it's a great site and I discovered it because I was researching I didn't know I mean I'd given up on there I wasn't even looking assuming there was a whole Star Trek world out on the web which is so funny because I was working in digital Mm
0: -hmm. so
2: I was a website director and Um, And I just assumed, well, there's still nothing. Nobody cares about Star Trek but me. There'd been some movies. Everybody sees them and forgets, whatever. And then I was doing research to write about Star Trek Beyond for Fuse, which is where I was working at the time. And every time I was looking something up, I found myself on Trek Movie. And they had interviews and opinion pieces and all these things and news that I really connected with. And then I just reached out to them and, and thought, you know what, I'm not being fulfilled by my job. Maybe they need writers, and they wrote back right away and said they couldn't pay writers, but they were looking for enthusiastic writers. And there's always tickets to things and events coverage and swag and who knows what. And that has been a great, the group the group of people working on that site are phenomenal. They're all just great people. I've met most of them in person now. And it's, that was a huge change for me because suddenly I got to fulfill all my urges to say everything I want to say about Star Trek and learn more about it with other people doing the same thing.
1: I'm so glad to hear that. You hear so many horror stories about websites and, and how they run some things because, you know, when the money's not flowing, that can bring out the worst in people. So to, to, that the, you have a good group of people to work with there is, is really fortunate and it's good to know the Trek universe is in good hands.
2: Yeah, it's a good – it's a great group of people, really nice, really smart, really invested, really honest, and also just really fun to hang around with, like a very supportive group of people too.
1: Amazing. So what's been your favorite experience throughout the past, let's say at least since the premiere of Discovery?
2: I mean, honestly – Working, to me, like as a Star Trek fan, the thing about working on After Trek was I mean, there's the joy of, like meeting the actors and talking to the producers and and creating. I loved creating content for other fans, which I've always wanted to do. But as a writer, which is my aspiration is to write for television. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've written, I mean, I'm mean, um, scripted because I've done mm-hmm. a lot of like I write post copy and I write trivia questions for TV shows and stuff like that. But to be able to. Eat and talk with the writers and the producers and about the choices that they made and why they made those choices and where they're headed and what they're hoping to do with the scripts and then talk to people doing special effects or props or set design about what they were thinking and watching the whole thing come together. I mean, it's every book when you're a kid and you get into Star Trek and you read the making of Star Trek and the world of Star Trek and you read all these books about how they make the show. This was actually being there In a way when they're making the show. And getting to ask them questions while they're doing it. So uh, to me. That was the most exciting part. And then you get all these little bonuses. Like uh, working with Jonathan Frakes. A couple of times. Which was absolutely phenomenal. I mean he's everything that everyone says about him. Is 100% true. And he gives 100% to whatever he does. I got to go to the season 2 premiere party. And do red carpet interviews. And that was for Trek movie. Mm -hmm. And all of that was really, I hadn't done red carpet stuff before, and that was really fun. So, I mean, there's so many pieces of it that are just, just, that just fill me with with joy and sustain me for the next, you know, while while I'm waiting for the next thing to happen. Or dealing with the fact that there's no more After Trek, which I am so sad, and I'm waiting and hoping, but I don't think, uh, I don't think they do another one in New York.
1: Well. Might not do it in New York, but if you ever just have the need to just come out and blab about what you think is going on in the Trek universe, you've got my number. We can set something (laughs) up. All right. But in all seriousness, um, the passion you have for this comes out in your writing on your blog. I love the way you actually managed to go into Futurama and uh, MASH and, and say, this is, try to get granular on. What what they might have meant, or what it could mean to the fans watching—it's much more than a surface-level Buzzfeed article, for lack of a better description. You, you you actually create real, meaningful content for the people reading, and that that shows that you care.
2: Thank you. I mean, those articles, like I don't—I don't. Just to correct, I don't actually have a blog. So what I have is a portfolio of my paid uh, writing. Oh, and okay. so. I have. Uh, I used to write a lot for biography for bio.com and they let me, um, the editor there, Leanne French, let me really, and Laura Grimm, I got to give credit to both, let me really explore the things that I wanted to write about. And they would say, we need an article on this. And I would be able to come up with some kind of angle. And I love, I'm a trivia person. I love the details. I find them all fascinating. And so I'm a fan of all those things. And some things I would write about and I didn't know about them and I had to pretend, but <laughs> but other things I got to really dig into, find really good facts, talk about them. And then I've written for a lot of sites where they let you do personal essays. And then I end up weaving things in like, you know, Futurama and how it related to my talk with my son when he was young about sex and mm-hmm. all different, how everything connects. But I've been very lucky that I've gotten to write about a lot of things that are very important to me. And mm-hmm. when it's not that important to me, I always find a way to connect and find something interesting about it.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the article you did on muds Women, where you're talking about how that affects the way we see relationships and body image, and that was, that was definitely a deep cut in a lot of ways.
2: And that is the beauty. So another great site. So that was for Women at Warp. And they're a great site. I love what they're doing. And for me, I've written two pieces for them because sometimes you just need to say something and I have to find the right audience. Like Trek Movie isn't the right place for an article like that. I felt I would agree. Um, I did. I didn't think their audience would be particularly interested or receptive. It was burning in my mind for so long. And women at warp is a great place. And I've gone there twice now to say things I wanted to say that I knew their audience would connect with. Cause I'm not trying to stir up controversy. No. I'm trying to connect with people who feel the same way and maybe hopefully articulate something that they felt was unsaid. And, and that piece to me was very important because I'd been thinking about that issue of the body positivity movement and why I don't connect with it, mm-hmm. but struggle with, with so many of the issues that come up and yet don't connect with it. And then when I rewatch, I can't even remember why I was rewatching that episode because it's not a favorite, but I was, and I realized, Oh, it's every, it's everything I've been trying to say right here. There it is. So it was perfect. And they were great to, um, to accept it and let me explore that with them. And they made really good edits too. I thought. Awesome.
1: I, yeah, I would agree. It's it's not quite a fit for Trek movie, but it is. Uh, it, it works in, in a number of ways. First of all, I've always felt like Harry Mudd is one of those characters that everybody wants to see him in a certain light based on their own experiences, and he's malleable enough that one person's view may not necessarily be right or wrong and then when we got to the the newer incarnation of mud where it's like okay maybe he's a bit of a darker character and the fans kind of get into a conflict like no he's just this goofy little clown and other people are saying no he was pretty sinister even from day 1
2: yeah, and I actually loved Rain Wilson's take on him. Like, I thought, I mean, I don't always love when they pull old things and redo it. I haven't been mm-hmm. a fan of every choice that they've made, but I actually thought he was great. And my only thing about I, what I didn't like was that little throwback ending with the going off with Stella after he'd actually tried to murder everybody and ruin the Federation mm-hmm. um, or Starfleet. So I felt like that ending was like a little throwback nod to the goofy Harry Mudd Mm -hmm. and didn't quite feel right to me but I loved his take on it and I agree that I thought he was always sinister I mean he was always basically willing to have other people suffer for him for him to get rich or be happy or get the thing that he wanted Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you when we were kids I, mud was such a favorite episode for my siblings and me, and we would laugh so hard and be so excited every time it was on. So I connect, I think, to both of those ideas.
1: Agreed, agreed. I, I mean, at the end where, you know, his worst punishment is when they bring his wife in and she's saying, hot! And that is such a goofy, hokey, early 60s sitcom ending that you, you want to just put a bow on it and put it in that box, but it's like, yeah, but look at what this guy's doing here. He's essentially a, a, a merging of a pimp and a pirate, so you can't just completely sanitize that.
2: Right, and then, and then at the end of the Rain wilson you know, debacle, um, <laughs> very much debacle there, like they just send him off with his wife, which you're supposed to feel, you know, is that bad? You know, is that some sort of torture for him? To me, that was a, a throwback to the wrong kind of thing. Agreed. Um, so, but I, but I did think that I thought his dialogue was great. I loved his energy. I loved that crazy episode, you know, the magic to make the Sanest Man go by. I thought it was such a fantastic episode from the show. So you know, a small thing at the end. I didn't love the rest of it. It was worth it because I just thought I thought it was great. And I loved did with this character. I thought it was fascinating.
1: Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to take the whole package and and just acknowledge that there's little pieces that, you know, that that might not be your your, your cup of tea, but we'll go with the rest of it.
2: Sure, sure. And then you'd find someone to complain to and you vent about it for a few minutes and then everybody feels better.
1: (laughs) I have a friend who... I mean, we sit down and we talk about how much we love Star Trek Six, and yet the scene where Sulu is on the bridge and he's yelling for the shields like says that that one line it's just so over the top I, I don't really see that, but it it <laughs> stops the movie for him
2: right well, it's funny I just you know I went to see Star Trek the Motion Picture in theaters um did you go where you were able to go when they brought it back? I wasn't I able guess it was to. a couple weeks oh, yeah. okay, so it was I hadn't seen it in a theater since the day that it came out, Um, which was a very long time ago. And I went with a good friend and we were enjoying it, but the close-ups of Sulu with his eyes just getting bigger and bigger and bigger were so, they took you out of it too. Like there were these moments Mm -hmm. that's just Sulu's eyes are widening. You could almost see the script direction and it was very silly. And still i you know, you, you enjoy the whole thing. So Yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you completely.
1: It, uh, Star Trek, the first mo- movie, is not in my pantheon of greats. Uh, there, there's a lot of those moments there for me. So, right, yeah, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from. I, I again, another friend would always talk about how there was a they artificially made the ship bigger for the movie, where you had to have like a shuttle to get from one into the other. It's like that, that made no sense. Like, yeah, but. They were just trying to do something different than the show. Again, the, the the logical part of me is saying, "Yeah, that doesn't make any sense," but I I get it.
2: Yeah, no, and I mean, look, a lot of things don't make sense. I would say in every every movie and every series has something that you're just like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's fine. Like you can buy into it or you can be irritated by that thing and still buy into it. I mean, to me, the star Trek, the motion picture was such a huge, to me, that was colossal in my life because like I said, there was nothing else. And suddenly Mm -hmm. I still remember being, you know, but my mom's friends took me out of school that day with her permission Mm -hmm. We went and lined up first thing in the morning because he couldn't book seats for movies the way you can now. So we went and lined up in the morning and all of a sudden there were other people in the line. And suddenly I was in a crowd of people who would stop what they were doing to go line up for a Star Trek movie on a weekday morning. And that alone, even before we and with with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy's names on the marquee, that alone was was life changing in terms of what was going on inside my head.
1: Because you now realize there is a community of people like you who have been invisible to you until now, and now you're in line with them to have a shared experience.
2: And we we're all so excited, and everybody cheered and laughed at everything that McCoy said, and, and was so excited when Spock showed up, and every, you know all the moments that feel very slow to a modern movie goer mm-hmm. i milked them all you circled the ship 10 more times i don't care just keep circling mm-hmm. and i want to look at it too so is all that so, you know it's it's to me so connected with with my childhood and that moment and hearing those actors say lines in their as their characters again so i will always love that movie forever
1: i and i'm glad you have that and that, that that's one of those things that it it grounds you as a fan it becomes part of that that experience yeah absolutely so what are you working on these days
2: these days i'm doing a lot of writing more than producing although i'd like to get back into producing um i write a podcast about movies i do Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff for trek movie in fact i was just at comic-con in new york covering the discovery panel picard panel orville panel and then the Paley Center Star Trek Discovery, we did red carpet there, and we did um, we covered the panel there. So that stuff's always fun. I actually I copy edit on air captions for pop up shows on E and Bravo, which is a funny thing to do. Um, and I don't actually watch those shows, so I do it without the volume on. But I <laughs> but I do that, and you know, trying to figure out I, what's next. I'm working on a show idea with a couple of friends of mine that we've been working on for a long time with my writing partners um that is for you know the parts that i bring to it are definitely influenced by shows like star trek and actually timeless i don't know if you watch that show i think it's a great one for star
1: trek fans i Um, would like to get into it i haven't had the chance
2: i mean there's uh, there are only two seasons and then a movie but it's i thought it was great um so that and then i you know i have fantasies that there will be some version of after trek but i think I think if they do something, it'll be for the Picard show. And I think if they do it, it'll be in L.A. And my heart will break in
1: two. Geography is the enemy of fun.
2: It is. And I have a family here. I have kids and a husband. Yeah. And so I can't just pick up and go. I mean, yeah. you know, that the hours on those shows alone, when I do TV, the hours are very long. And my kids are, are 12 and almost 16. Mm-hmm. They have to adjust to that. And they don't love it. But they're used to it
1: sure sure it's definitely hard and and i I definitely give you credit for being a parent and having a a, a job that is extremely demanding in terms of time let's say nothing of energy
2: it is but the i mean the one thing they noticed when i was doing after trek for sure was that i was just happy all the time i mean it was Mm -hmm. just it was crazy we filmed on sundays so my days off were Friday and Saturday. So I lost one day with the family, but I was also around on the Friday, which I think they liked when they came home from school. But, um, but that, you know, just the happiness every day. We made troubles today. You know, I'd come home and bring stuff home or, or show them hilarious pictures or tell them who I met. And I would be bursting with excitement all the time. Um, and they would, you know, the kids would have come, I think if, uh, but we just could, we had drinking in the, um, in the lounge, in the waiting area. So we mm-hmm. couldn't have kids there
1: sure and we i was about cocktails <laughs> to, i was about to ask if you in your personal opinion feel your kids are old enough to watch discovery yet
2: so my daughter would never my the only episode of any star trek my daughter will watch is rascals from TNG. Mm-hmm. that's it so she will not watch any of it and we have very different tastes um and my son he could watch it he has not particularly been interested um, I actually think he might like some of the shorts. Mm-hmm. I think he might be more interested in those. But he could, I mean, they could watch it. It's just they haven't been particularly interested, which makes me a little bit sad. Sure. Um, I might be able to get my husband to watch uh, Picard when it comes because he that was the only Star Trek he kind of liked. He loves Picard and Next Generation. Not in the way that he would watch it all, but he would watch some of it. And he did. You know what? I got to give him credit because when, I'm trying to remember which movie it was. It must have been Nemesis came out. It was the day that we closed on our house and we were moving the next day. And I said, we have to go to the Star Trek movie, even (laughs) though we just closed on the house and we're moving tomorrow. And so we have to have everything ready. And he said, okay. And we did. Nice. (laughs) So... You know, he's a good husband. So he might be watching Picard. But yeah, the kids haven't been, have not been interested in Discovery to my my sadness.
1: Well, Discovery for us was so much fun because it was the first Star Trek that was produced after we were married.
2: Oh, nice.
1: It was like, okay, this is something we can just, we can literally discover it together and, and see where the story goes. Neither one of us having experience, neither one of us having any preconceived notions of what's going on. And we both loved it. And then Picard comes along, and it's like, okay, now they're going back into the universe we knew, but it's like um, it's been twenty years, so who knows what's going on there? It's it's a good time to, to be a truck fan. It really is, and to get into it, it is. fresh.
2: Yeah, no, there's and they have, and there are all these other new shows coming, and and the shorts are coming out. Which whether you like, you know, I have I like some, I don't like some. Um, but it just shows that there's a huge... I don't think there's any correct answer to what is Star Trek, and I think it's so many different things, and it's different things to different people, and so all the arguments I hear or see going on about, like, Discovery or this or that, I mean, you could have that argument about anything. Like, there are mm-hmm. people who felt that way about the other shows, like uh-huh. uh, like Enterprise or Voyager. I mean, to me, Voyager was everything Star Trek was supposed to be, mm-hmm. and I love that show. And then... to someone else it wasn't at all and it was you know it was just boring and too high concept that they're you know gilligan's island in space mm-hmm. so i think it just i i think there's sort of room for all of it and if people would just stop figuring about it uh they could enjoy it more i mean i get frustrated as someone who does who co-runs social media for check movie
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you know people will take all we'll do a post oh here it's this person's birthday and they'll take the opportunity to to say crappy things about discovery
1: yeah at that i'm tired of that really well it's like
2: you can say crappy things about discovery to other people who feel the same way but don't come to where i am saying ha- positive things mm-hmm. and try and poop on it like a normal conversation if someone says to you oh you know i i love george clooney you don't say oh i hate george clooney he's terrible i mean i don't think he's terrible but <laughs> i like mm-hmm. him but you don't you wouldn't say that to a person who expressed enthusiasm about something you wouldn't try and poop on it. and mm-hmm. so i i'm i'm surprised at how willing all these uh star trek fans are to come and do that. but look, there are enough people who love discovery. they love those actors have all been phenomenal ambassadors for the show. they're so invested in it. they're so positive. they're mm-hmm. absolutely lovely to deal with every single time. so i think that
1: helps. it does. it really does. Nothing puts a damper on things then. And, you know, there's always been a couple people out there that would, you know, they they're, they get really big and they're in something that everybody's talking about and you find out they're a jerk. And yeah. that just uh-huh. becomes, it's the poison pill that kind of follows them throughout their career. And, oh, you want to like them, but, you know, you probably wouldn't like actually talking to them. And and I, having met a couple of the Discovery people myself, it, I agree. They are genuinely pleasant wonderful people to talk to and know.
2: They are. And they realize that they're lucky to have the jobs that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and they realize that they're, that they have this huge fandom out there that they can connect with. And I think they've all been great about it. And honestly, like I've, I worked in TV for a long time. I worked at MTV and Beach one and, and a lot of other networks. And I got to tell you, like a lot of those people are not very nice and they know mm-hmm. how to be nice. They know how to be nice in a PR situation, mm-hmm. but they're generally demand a lot of people. And I don't mean Star Trek people. I just mean in general, uh, actors are trained, honestly, trained by the industry they're in to be demanding. It's not that they're all like that from the get go. Mm-hmm. But I watched I watched it and I watched someone step on camera for the first time. And then get encouraged to become a demanding person and the industry feeds on that and we create it and we want those people to feel like they're more special than everybody else. And I have to say that all of these discovery actors that I've met, you know, almost certainly from the first season, I think Michelle Yeoh, I didn't meet and I think I met probably everybody else, um, They're all warm and friendly and excited. And like the first time we saw, we were waiting to get Sonequa Martin-Green on the show. She hadn't been on the show yet. We knew she was coming. She came in to the far end of our office. And I was standing there with our writer and our producer, Courtney and Michelle, and Eliza, our AP. And we see her and we just, we can't help it. We just start like softly clapping. Because we thought her acting was so great. She sees us and starts softly clapping. We start all walking towards each other. We're all doing this like weird soft clapping. And she came up to us and she said, I love your show. And we said, we love your show. And then she said, Star Trek family. And I feel like everybody was like that. Every single person that You know, that came to us was excited to talk about it, excited that we were fans and very positive about it. And you watch, look, you go to conventions, these actors, they all still really like each other from all the other shows. I mean, Jonathan Frakes is a huge part of the franchise still. Mm -hmm. And he came and did stuff with us where he was so giving it. A thousand percent, so much more than he had, so invested, asking us a million questions. How many cameras and who's doing this? And what do you do about the rights? And so interested in the whole thing. And so that helps a lot. It helps a lot when it's not just someone who is jaded and frustrated and thinks that they're special.
1: Mm -hmm. The best way it was ever explained to me was that when – and and I'm saying this for the benefit of the audience, you know this already, I'm sure, but you know, you spend so much of your life as an actor being told no, no, no over and over again, you're not worth it. You're not useful. You're not this, you're not that. And then when somebody stops saying no to you and they start saying yes, you're incentivized to make people say yes over and over again. You, 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 it's (laughs) just becomes your compulsion and some people never grow out of that.
2: Right. I mean, that's true. And you also are suddenly surrounded by people who tell you that your needs are more important than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it because I did, a, you know, I worked at MTV2 and VH1 and we did, we interviewed all these bands and sometimes actors for things. And the ad, I mean, the attitudes I saw were, were terrible because they were surrounded by people telling them you are more important than other humans. But I never got any of that, you know, any I have to say, like anyone that I've dealt with from Star Trek Discovery cast, especially, of course. But, you know, I've dealt with other I've interviewed Kate Mulgrew and I've met George Takei and, you know, all these different people. And they're all, you know, thoughtful and invested and have learned how to treat people. And it makes a huge difference.
1: It really does. and uh, That's. To actually get in and talk to somebody, and they they just enjoy having the conversation. They're they're genuinely good people who know their place in the world, and they're they're grateful for the blessings they have, and they want to share it with the fans that have helped build that. That that's the kind of people you want to have on your screen and in your life, if possible.
2: Uh, absolutely, like uh, I went, I met Connor Trenier when he did he did a thing at. There's a math museum here in New York, and he did the Math of Con. So there's a guy. I wish James. Oh, I'm going to hate myself for not remembering his name. Very, very smart mathematician who does this great talk about math and Star Trek and which things are true and which things are not. Very entertaining, wonderful guy. And they asked Connor Trenier to introduce him. And so I did a phone interview with Connor before that for Trek movie. And then I wanted to do something special at the event. And he let my son, who was 13 at the time, do the interview. And he was so warm and funny and just made it so easy for my son. It was a great, it's actually on Trek movie if you want to find it. Um, But again, like that's, and you know, he has a son, I think fairly a couple of years younger than my son. And just that connection, and they all—they all seem to get it, or most of them seem to get it, and it's great. Especially because we look at so many of the—you know, for me, Star Trek original series was my aspiration as a child. So when I've gotten to meet somebody from there, which was, I guess, William Shatner, James Doohan, George Takei—that's it. Um, it's been—it's—it's. It's, I've never had a negative experience.
1: I, agreed. Agreed. Well. We're t- all about positivity here. We're about creativity. These stories are the best example of that. And I think this might be a good place to leave it. Okay. Um, so, before I let you go, because I know you've got stuff to do, you've got a whole full day ahead of you, where can people find you if they want to see more of your writing and hopefully more of your producing down the road?
2: Um, I am so on Twitter, I am Fluish, F L O O B I S H. Um, I love to talk about TV. I'm a TV fanatic. I love uh, so many shows, and I love writing about TV. And there's, I have a portfolio, which there's a link to there, if you ever want to see my latest writing. I think I just put up uh, the first of the Paley Center interviews. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram, also flubish. And I don't know what TV is going to bring me next, but um, I always talk about it, so it's easy to find, to see what I'm doing.
1: <clears throat> I will make sure all of that gets put into the show notes so people have easy access to it. Everything's going to be on my website, aaronbossic.com And great. this has been a pleasant conversation. I have really enjoyed myself, and I would love to talk to you again anytime. Me too. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Thanks for having me, and you have yourself a great day, okay? You too. Take good care. Bye.
0: I would like to thank Laurie for being my guest, and I would like to thank you for listening. On today's Geek Resources section, I'm going to make good of my promise and feature TrekMovie.com as one of the best Star Trek resources out there. It is a fantastic site with not only the basic news on new Star Trek movies and TV shows, which there's quite a lot of those coming out, so you definitely want to check that out, but there's also a lot of really great articles and features that are just good reading for fans of Star Trek. And as for the community-building part of the show today, my hint is, let's go ahead and do memes. Can you make a meme about Hungry Trilobite? If you can, post it on your site or email it to me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.